We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about how pop culture influences our appreciation and understanding of Jewish tradition and how Jewish texts, scripture, and tradition help us better understand what is popping in pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today we are talking about the new Star Wars series, The Bad Batch, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Mike, what can you tell us about this latest addition to the Star Wars universe? Yes, the Star Wars extended universe, or maybe we should now call it the Dave Filoni-verse, because Dave Filoni is now the uh, executive creative director of Lucasfilm and is the uh, mind behind this new series, The Bad Batch, uh, also behind the earlier series, The Clone Wars and Rebels and Resistance, and also uh, one of the minds behind The Mandalorian. So really, uh, all of the major Star Wars properties now are, are kind of under his creative direction. And, and He is Star will... Wars answer to Kevin Feige. That's right. So maybe it'll uh, inject some uh, creative verve back into the Star Wars franchise. Well, The Bad Batch um, is an animated series that follows a uh, troop of clone soldiers, clone troopers, uh, that were introduced first in Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, They are called Clone Force 99, uh, but also known as the Bad Batch. They are, uh, they were genetically modified. uh, The the original clones uh, that are introduced in Star Wars Episode 2, The Attack of the Clones, um, are uh, clones taken from genetic material from of a bounty hunter named Jango Fett, the father of Boba Fett. uh, And uh, and the uh, who, who, we, who we meet in uh, episode two for the first time. Right. We meet him for the first time in episode two, along with his uh, son, who is also a clone, uh, Boba Fett. Uh, the Kaminoans, uh, a, a race of, uh, of alien beings who are uh, known for their cloning technology, uh, genetically modify some of the clones to uh, provide them with specific beneficial mutations uh, you, we have Hunter, who is a good hunter, <laughs> Wrecker, who is a good wrecker, uh, Tech, who is good at tech, uh, Crosshair, uh, who's really good at shooting, uh, and Echo, who um, has um, heightened sensory uh, capabilities. Uh, it's, like, it's like Torah. Their names basically describe who they are. That's right. That's right. Um, it's very helpful to keep uh, these uh, these uh, uh, Bad Batch clone troopers uh, in uh, uh, all straight. So anyway, so these are the troopers of Clone Force 99. They're called the Bad Batch because uh, they are a bad batch of clones, right? They're not uh, they're not identical clones to the other ones. So they're first introduced in the Clone Wars. Um, they have some adventures in that narrative of that series, but now we meet up with them um, right uh, as the narrative of Clone Wars ends um, and sort of uh, right kind of uh, situated toward the tail end of where Star Wars Episode 3, uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, 
happens and, and then uh, in the immediate aftermath of that uh, movie of what happens uh, once the uh, clone troopers all turn on the Jedi and execute what's known as Order 66 in Star Wars lore, uh, which is the uh, secret order that uh, uh, Emperor Palpatine uh, has uh, implanted in all of the clone troopers to turn on their uh, Jedi superior officers and, uh, and, and wipe them all out as part of the Emperor's plan to eliminate the Jedi from the galaxy. And we also see that in live action at the very end of the prequel trilogy. That's right. We see that and we see that, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are certain Jedi that are that managed to escape uh, uh, Order 66, notably uh, Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, but there are also others. And we see in this episode uh, or in the first episode of The Bad Batch, um, what happens when the clone troopers turn on their Jedi uh, and the uh, and the Bad Batch, with the exception of Crosshair, spoiler alert, uh, decline to execute Order 66 uh, and save the life of one young Jedi uh, a, a name or a, a Padawan apprentice uh, named Caleb Dune, who, uh, as folks who are familiar with this lore know. Spoiler alert. Spoiler goes on Star Wars Rebels to become a, uh, a Jedi named Kanan Jarrus, uh, who then becomes the master uh, for the for a Padawan known as Ezra Bridger. Uh, Ezra Bridger uh, is the Star Wars Rebels kind of follows. He's the protagonist really of, of Star Wars Rebels. We see his training and his development, and also the aftermath of of you know how the Empire goes after and hunts down all of the Jedi in in the galaxy. Um, we don't know what happens to Ezra Bridger, by the way, at the end of Star Wars Rebels, uh, but we do hear his voice um, at uh, at I, the end of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Kind of crazy. Um, kind of crazy where uh, where Rey summons the, um, the, the presence of all the previous Jedi to, uh, to be with her when she confronts uh, Emperor Palpatine grandpa palpatine uh for one last time uh there's a lot here you the, you don't need to know all of that backstory and all that lore i think to appreciate uh the bad batch i think it's great on its own it's been a fun watch jesse what do you think about the bad batch um yeah i, I think it connects certainly the other animated series in the star wars extended universe connecting the clone wars connecting Star Wars Rebels. Uh, for those who are interested, Star Wars Rebels, I think that's far as my favorite of the animated shows because it's um, most closely connected to the original trilogy and really introduces that. Um, Clone Wars um, makes me appreciate the prequel trilogy a bit more. It makes uh, the prequel trilogy not as bad. <laughs> uh, and um, this is exciting in that... Uh, it's another example of Dave Filoni really expanding this universe and helps us appreciate that there are lessons and messages that the Star Wars universe can teach us. And it doesn't always have to be about Luke Skywalker and the Skywalker family and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. Um, what this series specifically talks about is one, definition of perfection right this bad batch they they are those who are deemed imperfect um that there is something wrong and we see this with the clones in general that there's something wrong with jingo fett's 
genetic makeup and thus uh, eventually uh, all of the clones something will happen to them but we see that there was something specifically to uh, this batch uh, the 99s uh, if you will um, that something was wrong with them uh, it leads me to think a lot about um, what we find in Parshat and more where we're told that Aaron and his sons, if there is a, a physical defect with the priest that they cannot make a Korban, they can make, not make an offering, uh, which uh, is deeply problematic. Whenever I study that Parsha with our B'nai Mitzvah students, um, we talk about how is it possible that the Torah could deem that somebody who, uh, for lack of a better term, is disabled uh, is not cannot be an agent for ritual within the uh, tabernacle. And I think that a lot about here, how ostracized this bad batch is and how much they are treated. I also think it's really interesting how they bring in the character Omega, this child who they end up saving and their worldview changes completely once they are responsible for another child, uh, much like the way um, the Mandalorian his worldview changes when he meets Grogu, when he meets Baby Yoda, affectionately termed, uh, and refuses to sell off Baby Yoda. Um, and the all of season two, and really season one, but mostly season two, is about getting Grogu to a Jedi and having the Jedi's take care of him. Uh, I think there are certain similarities in those two fronts, but it also we have, we haven't talked, by the way, about uh, the the great payoff in the uh, last episode of season two of The Mandalorian, where none other than Luke Skywalker is one who shows up to um, to uh, relieve uh, relieve uh, the Mandalorian of. Um, of Grogu and to take him for Jedi training. Uh, some really, really uh, amazing fan service there. But, you know, listen, I'm a fan and I'm happy to be served. It's, uh, that, that, it's, was that, Dis it's that Disney money that's able to make Mark Hamill look like he's 21 all over again. Same haircut. <laughs> um, but, but for me, I, I think um, what Dave Filoni has begun to do uh, and uh, the prequel trilogy, J.J. Abrams started doing this before he ended up just destroying the trilogy uh, with The Rise of Skywalker. But what Dave Filoni is really doing is a bit different than George Lucas, which introduced the light side and the dark side as so clear cut. You have your Yetzer Haran, your Yetzer Atov, your, your evil and good inclinations, and there's no in between. And what Dave Filoni is doing is really saying that it's not so black and white. That the Mandalorian, who is this bounty hunter for hire um, in the in the post Return of the Jedi universe, uh, it wasn't clear who was in control. Was it um, you know the, the the New Republic? Was it the Empire? Still, some parts of the galaxy. He was just living on his own as a sort of lone ranger, and he wasn't going to do what he deemed evil. Similarly, the Bad Batch they refused the order of Order sixty six. They weren't going to kill Jedi's, even though they were programmed to do so. We find that with Finn, and uh, who's introduced in Episode seven, that he was a stormtrooper and he refused just to annihilate human beings or other species, whatever they were. Um, and he stops being a stormtrooper as a result. 
Yeah, you know, I think that that's that there are definitely threads that Dave Filoni is, you know, very interested in uh, in exploring in the Star Wars universe that that make for rich conversation. And the first, why don't we start here? I mean, the first is, um, I think Dave Filoni definitely sees Star Wars as ultimately um, a, a family story, not necessarily the Skywalker family, uh, which you know that that storyline has more or less um, been completed at least presumably with, with the rise of Skywalker. Uh, but, you know, like you said, right, Mando and Grogu, um, uh, Hunter and Omega and now in the Bad Batch, really the whole Bad Batch and, and Omega. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in, in, in some ways, the, the master Padawan relationship is, is kind of a family relationship, right? A, a parent-child relationship. You see that with, um, with Obi-Wan and Anakin. Obi-Wan calls Anakin his brother, but really in, in episode two, Attack of the Clones, um, Obi-Wan really kind of takes on the the um the presence more of a father figure for for Anakin and Anakin sure. is kind of like a rebellious teenager with him. Um you know so uh doesn't so help I, that Hayden Christensen whines the entire movie but <laughs> you know listen I don't hate as much on Hayden Christensen for for that particular performance uh, as as others do but uh By but, the way he's supposedly coming back in the Obi-Wan series that's coming Yes on so Plus. I hear we'll see how that goes. Maybe it'll it'll do a good retcon um, of that. I think that listen. I think George Lucas's scripts in those movies did did no one any favors. Uh, but um, but anyway, so it, it's it seems clear that that Dave Filoni sees um, the Star Wars story as as ultimately a, a story of, of family ties and the complications of family ties, both in how. Um, how you know taking on the responsibility of children changes our uh, perspective on things changes our worldview changes the decisions that we make and why we make them um and and also um you know makes uh makes life in some ways better but also more complicated i, I don't know how do you read the kind of family dynamics that are happening in bad batch and, and then in just kind of in general in the star wars universe well, I think it's two things. One, it is an understanding that family is not necessarily biological. Yeah. Um, right. We we see that uh, even with J.J. Abrams' terrible decision to make Ray the granddaughter of of, of Palpatine of of Darth, uh, what is it, Darth Sidious? Darth Sidious. Yeah. Um, that, right, but then, but then ultimately, then she takes around, on the name Skywalker. Right, takes on right, which could have actually been, you know, a fine payoff. Right, the idea that like this, this you know, person from nowhere and who was nobody um, decides to embrace a new, to be adopted into a new family, um, could have actually been really compelling. The idea that she, you know, essentially like it meant a, a switching of allegiances um, made it, let's say, muddy. Yeah, but I think, listen, family is ultimately the message is what you make of it. We see that with the early episodes of The Bad Batch, that this Montley crew, uh, they find connection because they are all sort of outcasts of the clones. Um, but we see that also, we see that right in Guardians of the Galaxy in the MCU. That's uh, in the end of the first Guardians movie, the best line when Groot protects everybody and he says, we are Groot. It's that family is uh those who are your friends that you treat like family not necessarily those who are your family um and that's all ultimately the message that you get to actually choose your family um it's who you choose to cast your lot with uh, and that's the, that's the message um 
my appreciation, which is much more complex than an animated series about a galaxy far, far away can do, is my appreciation is the introduction to the fact that good and evil is not black and white, mm-hmm. and that it's not clear cut, and that uh, one can simultaneously do good while doing bad things, and one can simultaneously um, uh, do evil while striving to do good. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, no, I think it's it's really important. And, and as I was reflecting on it, you know, I think that for sure, you know, the original, uh, the, the you know, 1977, you know, now episode four, uh, A New Hope of, of Star Wars, um, you know, presents a galaxy where there is, you know, clear black and clear white, clear good and clear evil. Uh, and I think it already starts to get complicated in, in Empire Strikes Back, especially when we realize that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, that, uh, what? That, <laughs> sorry, Jesse, um, that, uh, you know, that, that, that sometimes these lines aren't, aren't quite so clear. You know, I, and then uh, then it becomes even more complicated uh, in in Return of the Jedi. You start to kind of question, you know, who really is Luke Skywalker, and how good is Luke Skywalker actually? Right? There is a lot, and you you see this play out in in some ways in in uh, Episode Eight in the Last Jedi, um, where Luke Skywalker you know then becomes ref, you know uh, much more self critical of you know of, of the Jedi and of his kind of previous story arc. Um, but that's already present, I think, in Return of the Jedi. I watched Return of the Jedi again, and, and Luke Skywalker is animated by a lot of things, not all of them altruistic, right? He is animated by an appreciation of his own power, um, by um, by attachment to his friends, right? So, you know, so uh, uh, Yoda warns him about this, right? Is like, um, you know, you can go in in in, uh, in the Empire Strikes Back. Yoda says you can go and save your friends, right? But if you honor what they fight for, um, then you shouldn't go and save your friends. Right? He even weirdly kisses his sister before he realizes <laughs> she's his sister. Right. Um, so listen, I think that uh, you know there. Uh, you, you know, Jewish tradition uh, has you know this idea. First of all, a recognition that our motives matter less than our actions right that we can do the right thing for the wrong reasons and heschel said more than a people of thought we are people of action right um and uh and 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 still have that counted for you as a good deed you know tradition says do do meets vote require kavana right do uh performance of sacred deeds require intention by and large the answer is no they don't require intention you don't need to uh, have in your mind, I'm doing this because it's a mitzvah in order for it to count as having done mitzvah, right? What counts is whether you've actually done the action. Um, so you can have wrong intentions and still do good. And conversely, right? Um, just because you have the best of intentions, if you don't follow through on those intentions in a way that actually um, serves people, serves God, um, then you haven't done done right. You know, so... Um, so you know, just to, just to kind of carry this through, um, you know, I talk with people all the time. And this is even true of you know of of wars uh, that um, you know that that represent you know kind of the uh, most clear iterations of of you know good and evil and black and white. I don't believe even Hitler woke up in the morning morning and said, "How could I be evil today?" Right in Hitler's mind, what he was doing was perfectly good. 
Right. right. And so, so, so Yetzer Hara within him was so ingrained that he didn't realize that his hatred towards another person was hate and evil at all. He was sadistic um, and he was doing it for his own benefit and the benefit of his own people. Um, that's uh, what makes in some ways pure evil that much scarier. Right. And so the question I think that Judaism asks us is how do we interrogate our assumptions? How do we interrogate our, um, our, 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 our um, perspectives on things to make sure that our intentions are actually altruistic, that our intentions are actually good. Um, and then on top of it, whether our actions based on those intentions are, are actually what we ought to be doing. Right. Um, so, and I, you see that in the star Wars universe too, uh, where, you know, people who, uh, who believe that they are doing good. Like I believe, you know, even though he's very mustache twirly in a way, right? I believe that Emperor Palpatine believes that he's doing the right thing by taking over the galaxy and, uh, and, and by imposing order, by restoring the Sith to power. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if the, that's, it's a good point because he was a Sith Lord before we knew he was a Sith Lord. I mean, we knew he was a Sith Lord because we saw the original trilogy before we saw the, the prequel trilogy. And it was like, you want to scream at the screen. Why does nobody know that he's a Sith? Um, but I, I don't, I actually don't know if that's true. Um, maybe it's true that this, that the Sith think that, that they are doing what is right. Uh, maybe it's that they themselves are so brainwashed. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think there's a reason that Hillel simultaneously teaches right. That it's not two separate teachings. If I'm not for myself, who will be, and if I'm only for myself, what am I? Because we need to balance those two things simultaneously. It is human nature to be for ourselves first. But um, if we're only for ourselves, then society collapses and crumbles but if we are never for ourselves then we can never be there for other people mm -hmm. uh, because we can't expect even if we want to be there for other people we can expect others to be there for us um, and that's the the problem where good and evil is, is not black and white that it's this balance between doing what you need to do for yourself and standing up for what is right and doing uh what, what you believe is right even when others aren't doing that, that it was so fascinating about this bad batch of clones is that they were programmed to initiate order 66 when they were asked to do so. And yet something inside their genetic makeup, even as clones told them that this wasn't right to, uh, hate to use this word, right. To enact genocide against the Jedi's. Right. Except for, you know, and, and we need to talk about this, right. Except for crosshair. Uh, and, you know, Crosshair is the one of the clones that, uh, of the Bad Batch clones, um, that, you know, believes, as he keeps on saying, you know, good soldiers follow orders, right? And so his understanding of, of the good, I, I actually don't know if it's just because he, you know, because of the programming, right? It seems like he's making a conscious choice um, to do something that the other Bad Batch clones are not doing. Um, and to him, his definition of the good is doing what his commanding officers say to do. Yeah, speak more about that. Well, you know, I mean, uh, 
you know, this is a, uh, this is area that, uh, that, you know, is covered in, in things like, you know, a few good men, right. Um, you know, should have like, uh, and we, we actually, we, we talked about this when we talked about, uh, hunters as well, right. Uh, you know, what, what's the, what's the moral culpability of, um, of the average, you know, German soldier in, in world war two, what's the culpability of the average German citizen in world war two, you know, of course, you know, from, from, the perspective of Jewish tradition, I, I would, I would think, right. Your, your ultimate loyalty um, is not to your commanding officer. It's not even necessarily to the law, um, it, you know, to kind of put it in, in Martin Luther King's language from the letter from Birmingham jail, right. There are two kinds of laws, uh, you know, uh, godly law, you know, God's law and human and human law. And to the extent that human law comports with divine law, you got to follow it to the extent that it doesn't, you're duty bound to disobey it. Um, but you know, Martin Luther King's isn't the only, uh, analysis out there of, of, of what's, what's right and good, right? There are plenty of people who say, you know, that, uh, that the law transcends our, you know, maybe, uh, fleeting understanding of, of ethics, of, of what's good, right? And so, you know, a, a sense of, therefore, what's good is to uh, follow the law. And I'm not necessarily endorsing it, right? But I'm saying that, um, you know, you have that present within Judaism, too. I mean, even, you know, uh, even in, in contemporary times, there are legal theorists, Jewish legal theorists within the conservative movement, you know, that have argued that, you know, fealty to receive Jewish law transcends, you know, our kind of contemporary understanding of, of what the right and the good is. And we're duty bound to obey and, um, and, and promulgate the law as we've received it, rather than changing the law to, uh, to, to comport with what we, you know, now believe is, is good. I'm thinking of, um, you know, uh, my teacher, your, uh, I believe one of your teachers too, Rabbi Joel Roth. I mean, that's essentially the argument that he made against um, uh, the ordination of, uh, of, of gays and lesbians as rabbis and, and, uh, and, and rabbis officiating at same-sex marriages is that like, we might believe that it is immoral to, uh, discriminate against uh, LGBT people. Um, but the law is the law, right? And yeah, so that's but, here, kind of but here's where he was ultimately wrong. It's because he was also the same person who, wrote the response of that allowed in uh, 1980 for women to be ordained as rabbis in the conservative movements and um, sort of this flood of egalitarianism that flowed from that. He, right, he himself even acknowledged, right, movements move. He was on the left of the movement and then the right of the movement because, right, why do we do a Jewish podcast about pop culture? Because we understand that society influences religion and religion influences right. society. And we're using one entry point in society, in this case, a Star Wars animated series to help mm -hmm. us better understand our faith. Um, I think that our understanding of what is good and what is evil um evolves as well and you know torah is ultimately subjective right how we read torah is subjective based on our understanding of what is good and what is evil and i think that's true for right these these flawed clones 
you know, soldiers is that they experience different things and they are introduced to different people and thus their experience in the world changes their understanding of what is good and what is evil. And I think that's true, right, for all of us. Um, when we meet someone it is, and have a human interaction, it is much harder to judge them as the other because they are no longer the other. They are a human being, they are a person, they are a friend. And once we're able to do that, we're able to have real conversations about difficult issues and understand that there's nothing that is ever, there are few things I would say that are ever truly, purely good and truly, purely evil. Right. But, you know, I think that the complication of an example like the Bad Batch is that it puts that decision in the, you know, heat of battle. Right. So you can't like, it, you know, it's not as though, you know, Crosshair could sit down and have a lengthy conversation with Hunter about the morality of, of executing Order 66. Right. Like he's he's either got to take the shot or, or not take the shot. And and I'm not necessarily arguing that his perspective is correct. I mean, obviously, he's, you know, being he, as sympathetic, I think, as he's being portrayed in the show. I mean, ultimately, he's on the he's on the um, uh, the antagonist side. He's on the villain side. Uh, but. You know, I, I, I can understand the perspective. And I think that, you know, this is one thing Dave, Dave Filoni does really well. It's not only complicating good and evil, but also getting you to understand why the villain is making the choice that the villain is making. And, you know, from, from Crosshair's perspective, um, you know, again, and this is very Star Wars, right? Like from a certain point of view, right? Um, you know, so from Crosshair's point of view, the, the Jedi are traitors. Right. They uh, they they had a they, he was told that they had a plot to execute the emperor and had committed treason against the uh, the Republic um, and uh, and had to be eliminated. Otherwise, they would continue being a threat. And those were the orders that he received. Right. And so, you know, I, I think it's it's complicated. Right. If if every soldier determined whether or not to carry out every order based on their assumption of, or their belief about what was right and good, you know, there, there could be no armies. Now, maybe that's a good thing, um, but I think that we would also probably acknowledge that there are ways in which armies with soldiers who do follow orders um, are beneficial, right? So, you know, where to draw the line? Um, I, I, why don't we... Uh, put yeah. a pin in, in this in this conversation <laughs> and, and just uh switch gears uh, uh for a moment um and talk about something that you raised before which is uh you know the the fact that this you know the, the clone troop 99 um you know is called the bad batch because they you know they received these mutations that made them different from all the other clones and you know they're either imperfections or, or gifts depending on how you look at it you, you brought up the issue that's raised in the torah of you know, defects or, or imperfections in the priests uh, as being disqualifying. But it also strikes me that um, that the Torah, you know, repeatedly or the Tanakh in general, like repeatedly uh, holds out individuals' uniquenesses, right? And sometimes even their imperfections as, you know, their very source of strength, right? So, you know, Moses um, is... You know, has you know cultivates a sense of uh, humility, which is really kind of one of the reasons I think that God chooses Moses and why he's why he becomes such an effective leader, um, because of his inability to speak. Right, that's his defect, but it actually 
in a way serves him. Um, uh, David well, it, it, is- it's, it's interesting, right? It's that humility. Uh, some of our Mepharshim, some of our rabbinic commentators would suggest that less somebody think Moses himself is God, uh, you give him a speech impediment right. um, or whatever it means or else a time that, that he has uncircumcised right. lips so that he is not uh, seen as omnipotent. Right. Um, you know, David is, uh, you know, kind of like a small, he's the runt of the litter, right. In, in his, uh, in, in Jesse's family. Uh, and, uh, and yet that it's actually in some ways that smallness um, which enables him to kind of rise to, to greatness when he, you know, is able, like uniquely able to go and confront uh, Goliath um, uh, because, because of his stature, right? Um, and his, his uh, you know, willingness to embrace that aspect of himself rather than to try to be somebody else, right? And just over and again, right, are the heroes of Torah um, are not perfect people. Right, they, we see them in, in all of their flaws and all of their failings, and in some ways, it's their imperfections um, that that make them great or make them capable of of greatness. And I think that you see that in the Bad Batch too. Is that you know uh, the the Bad Batch, um, their imperfections um, are what what make them so special. Yeah, I mean, when you think you are perfect, and when you think. Uh, you don't have uh, room to grow. That's when um, you have serious problems, but also uh, with imperfections, be them uh, physical disability or, or, or um, whatever it may be, um, you understand that we are all unique. We are all made with Selim Elohim. We're all made in God's divine image, um, but uh, nobody is perfect. And I think that that's an important reminder. Uh, if we are deemed imperfect, then we also realize that our actions are imperfect and that um, we strive not for perfection, but we strive to be better. If we strive for perfection, then we will always fail. If we strive to be better, um, then that's a life's journey. And that's where, by the way, I think the introduction of a child into this and into the Mandalorian is so important because uh, our role and responsibility as parents is so different than when we don't have another person that we're looking out for and that we're caring for. Uh, we understand that our kids are watching us, right? Our kids are watching what we say, what we do and how we treat other people. And we really strive to be the best version of ourselves for their sake, because they end up, uh, learning from us. They learn what to do or what not to do because they watch us. Right. And also, you know, uh, along with that, maybe to tie those threads together, recognizing um, the, the gifts of the uniqueness of, of each child, right? Um, you know, so often, and, you know, I, I could probably uh, find myself as guilty of this as any parent, you know, uh, th there's the person who we want our children to become, uh, which is very often, you know, uh, our own image, uh, and then the person that they actually are, right? And um, and it, it's a it's a difficult thing uh, for a parent to embrace the uniqueness of their of their own child and uh, and and cultivate who that child actually is, rather than who the parent wants that child to be. Um, and so, you know, so again, I, you know, I'm drawn back. You mentioned, you know, we're all created in God's image, and one of the great rabbinic midrashim about that is that you know um the 
humanity testifies to God's greatness because we're all creating God's image. And yet none of us are the same. We're all right. different from one another. Um, and there's, and, and that's, uh, there's, there's greatness in that difference. And um, we understand in the fight for good versus evil, um, we don't celebrate victory. Um, ironically, right? That that there's a great midrash where the angels of God are, are chastised for uh, celebrating um, the Israelite crossing the split sea. And God says, uh, those two were my people, the Egyptians who were drowning in, in the water so the Israelites could be free. Um, that um, freedom comes at a cost. Uh, and, and we we understand the importance of that cost. We understand the importance of fighting for freedom and justice and fighting for good over evil. But that doesn't mean um, that we do a victory lap, like those fireworks at the, at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, which was actually the second Death Star exploding. Um, that, that doesn't mean that we should celebrate in that way. Wub nub. <laughs> So there's a lot to talk about. I appreciate um, the Star Wars universe evolving to understand that um, what is good and what is evil is not so black and white and not so clear cut. And that is true for life, right? There are a few things in life that are, are black and white. Um, and uh, we all struggle to um, do what we believe is right and be the best version of ourselves, understanding that sometimes uh, in our effort to do what is right and what is just, uh, we also do things that, um... and that... And that your origin doesn't necessarily determine your destiny, um, that, that you have the capacity you know, to, uh, to leave behind toxic family legacy, to, um, to you know, transcend you know, what's ingrained in your genetics um, to, uh, to, to choose uh, the good, um, even if that's not where you come from. Um, and I think that that's a powerful message for, for us all today. Well, Amen. we'll, we'll uh, leave it there for now. Um, it's been a great conversation about Bad Batch. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Uh, and of course, we hope that you'll uh, rate us and review us on wherever you get your podcast so that more people can uh, join in this conversation and uh, smash that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And especially, um, you know, at a time when the world seems very dark, um, may we find peace, may we find peace by being willing to talk to each other uh, and know the other um, and, and see the other. Uh, may that be how we build a more peaceful world. Amen. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone.